All right, so like I mentioned in the prayer, this is our final uh, week of the seven New Testament mysteries, and we're going to be talking about the mystery of Babylon the Great. Now, this is one that we could spend literally hours on, um, and so I'm really going to give you the nuts and bolts of this. And as I mentioned in the prayer that I prayed, um, this is one where you may or may not have heard this one before. Um, you know, this is a study where a lot of people think that, that we hate other religions and other beliefs, and that is simply not true. We're going with what the Bible says. And when you go to what the Bible says, especially about this matter, uh, the result is undeniable. So the information that you're given today, I want you guys to just understand, and, and I don't think you guys are going to use it this way at all, but I really want you guys just to understand that the things that we talk about, it is not supposed to be ammunition to attack other people. Um, anytime you, you learn something, especially about false religions, uh, different beliefs, or just the devil using the name of God, using the Bible, using Jesus against Christians, and, and maybe even calling it Christian when it's really not, um, that's never a license for us to go and attack people about it. There's a lot of Christians out there that do that kind of stuff, and it really makes me upset. Um, there are a lot of Christians that believe in the King James Bible the way that we do, and they make other people feel like they're secondary Christians because they use another translation of the Bible. I despise that. I absolutely despise that. There's never a place for that. And so the things that we talk about this morning, I feel very similarly about. Um, after going through this several times, uh, it really gives me more of a heart for people that are in this particular religion that we're going to talk about today. Um, because, frankly, with this religion that we're going to talk about and other religions associated to it, false forms of Christianity, people are trapped. They're trapped by these false doctrines and these, these false beliefs that are, frankly, sending them to hell. And, uh, and it should really give you more of a heart for people like this um, and that are in this situation. And so I, I really want you to, to look at it from that perspective. All right, so um, we're going to talk about Mr. Babylon the Great. Revelation 17.5 is our main verse for that, which I have printed at the top of your guys' uh, first page. And it says, Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So getting into this too, we need to talk about Mystery Babylon and its origin. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11. We're going to take a look at this and getting into some of this stuff. And... Um, this is pretty interesting how God reveals a lot of these things in the scriptures for us to take heed uh, to when it comes to Mystery Babylon. And Mystery Babylon, as I also prayed in the, in the opening prayer, is directly tied with the mystery of iniquity. And someone give me a quick reminder. What's the mystery of iniquity that we talked about last week? What is that? Noah. Satan's plan to deceive the world. Yeah. Basically stop Christians from doing their work and to stop lost people from getting saved. Um, any opportunity that God gets to have glory from our lives, the mystery of iniquity shows up to stop that from happening. And so the mystery of iniquity is that overall plan. And mystery Babylon is really the venue through which he has accomplished that for many, many years and into the future with the Antichrist until the Antichrist completely destroys uh, this mystery Babylon that we're going to talk about in order to establish himself as God. All right, so the first thing here that we're going to take a look at Point number one is that Nimrod establishes a kingdom. Nimrod establishes a kingdom. And then point number two, Nimrod establishes a religion. And this really encompasses Mystery Babylon's origin. Nimrod establishes a kingdom and he establishes a religion. Point number one and point number two. And so in Genesis chapter 10, someone read verses 8, 9, and 10 of chapter 10. 
<coughs> Noah, go ahead. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he begat, he begat to be a mighty one in the earth. He was, mighty, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kana in the land of Shinar. Okay, so you have this guy, Nimrod. It says he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and it was in the land of Shinar. So with this guy here, if you were to take that phrase, mighty one and mighty hunter, what you're going to find is that this is not a good thing. When you search that phrase, you'll find out that mighty one shows up in Isaiah uh, like one, two, three, four, five, six times. And also Ezekiel 31 and talking about the Antichrist, that whenever the term mighty one shows up, it is always in an offense and an affront to God. It is in rebellion against God. And then the hunter, a mighty hunter, you've got Esau that was a mighty hunter and he rebelled against God. You had Ishmael that was a mighty hunter and his lineage rebelled against God. The Antichrist in Revelation 6-2 is also called a mighty hunter and he is obviously in rebellion against God. So these two terms are not good. Nimrod was an evil dude. And he began his first kingdom, which was Babel, which is Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. And it was in the land of Shinar. So take a look at chapter 11, and I want you to see this. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. There it is, Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city. There is, there's the kingdom, the city and a tower. And that would be the religion whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So here you see in letter A that you have, it was a one world language. It was a one world government and it was a man-made nation. And he wanted to build a city and he wanted to build this tower. So what's interesting about this first thing that you see here is that the whole reason for building the city and this tower is the last part of verse four. It says, and let us make us a name, lest we be, what is that word? Scattered, Scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Do you realize this is what God told them to do to begin with? What did he tell them? Back in Genesis chapter nine with Noah, after Noah and his sons came out of the ark. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So God told Noah and his lineage, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. Okay, if you're fruitful and you multiply and you're supposed to replenish the earth, you have to do what? Let's just think logically for a second. You got to move around, which means you have to be scattered. You have to be scattered. You can't just be fruitful and multiply and just all reside in one place. I mean, if you were to do that, what would happen to that land? Overpopulation. Overpopulation, which would lead to? Starvation. Starvation. Infertility of the ground. Yep, absolutely, because you couldn't be able to grow food because you're using the ground. Disease, right? I mean, you start thinking about all the problems that would start to exist. And so here you have these people that said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We want to make ourselves a city and a tower, and we want to do this thing, make us a name, lest we be scattered. So what are they actually saying? We don't, want to do what God says. we don't want to do what God says, but when they said, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered, what are they saying? 
They want to be God. They want to be God. Because, they're, well, if we make ourselves a name, and if we can do all these things, then we can usurp God's authority, and he no longer has control over us, so we can do whatever we want. That has always been man's problem. Our tendency, individually and corporately, is that we do our thing to the point where we justify our behavior in the face of God and say, God, I know this is the will that you have for me in my life, but frankly, I don't care because I have my agenda, I have my plan, I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to succeed. That's how often we treat God when God's like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? So obviously, does God like this? No, he does not like this. So they do this whole thing. They're of one language, one government. They have a man-made nation. And then establishing the religion, they have a one-world religion. It's a man-made religion. And we're going to talk about this for a second here. But I want, you to, I want you to notice one more thing before we move on to letter C under point number two. They said that they want to build a tower and look at it. What, is, what does it say? A tower whose top may reach where? Unto heaven. Unto heaven. Now, you guys have heard my crazy theories. Where do I think heaven is? North Star. North Star. Okay. The North Star. And I have a firm belief, I can't really prove it, but I have a firm belief that that is where the uh, window or the door of heaven exists. Um, you know, why else would the earth be in the, all the constellations and God would put us in this position where when you look up in the sky and you take a time-lapse photograph, everything points to the North Star. The magnetic field of the earth, I mean, everything just points in that direction. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence, in my opinion. It's my opinion. But if you were to be able to build a rocket that would be able to go that far or a spaceship of some kind or be able to transport yourself to that place that you could actually reach the third heaven where God's throne is. It's a literal place. It literally, that God is there, that his throne is there, that you have the angels that are there, that those that have died are actually there. Uh, I mean, I think about my cousin, my grandma that have passed away. They're there right now. Like, I believe that. Because that's what the Bible says, yeah. Another thing to support that is if hell's a physical place that you can go to, why not heaven? Exactly. And hell being in the center of the earth, and then you have the North Star. So it just really makes sense, all in all, logically speaking. Now, this tower, they said, let's build a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Think about that for a second. Because we're like, normally, especially in kids' books, you're like, oh, you got this tower, and then you're like, How's it even possible? Because you're the spinning, so the tower will be spinning. I mean, how do you know they haven't developed the technology that you could actually teleport people from the top of that tower to the other side of the universe where God's throne is? Because here's what's interesting. Look at what God says in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand in one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. God specifically says in verse 6, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So if they wanted to build a tower that could reach heaven without God, they would have been able to do it. How? I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't give you all the details, but that's good enough for me where I understand that the people of Babel had the ability to get to heaven without God. 
I don't know why you got seals all over the place there. Let's just get rid of those seals. <laughs> so I think it was a total possibility. I really do. I think that it was something that legitimately God came down. God would not have stopped it if they would not have had the ability to do it. So you have this whole situation unfold. These people are a danger. They're now together. They want to go in the front to God. They don't want to be scattered. And so God comes down and destroys their plan, completely destroys their ability to build this tower in the city. And God ends up scattering them, which is exactly what they didn't want. But God made that happen in verse 8. And that's why it's called Babel. Now, when you study Babylonian history, and this gets back to letter C, uh, Babylonian history, they worshipped a goddess called Semiramis and her child, Tammuz. So... And this shouldn't be a a surprise because you have religions all over the world where you have a goddess with a baby. This is something that is not new. It's not something that the Roman Catholics started to do with Mary and Jesus. This is something that has existed for a long, long time. This has been a pagan ritual that has existed for, I mean, centuries. This is the first recorded place that we actually see as far as the Babylonians existed and what they worshipped, but they've gone back and they've done archaeological digs and they've found evidence that this actually has existed, where you have a goddess with a child. Now, it's specifically about Semiramis and Tammuz. Uh, this goddess, the goddess Semiramis, was called the Queen of Heaven, and she shows up in Jeremiah seven eighteen and chapter forty four as well. Uh, this Queen of Heaven has other names, and it's Ishtar and Ashtaroth, and you can find those in the Bible, all pagan religions in the Old Testament that destroyed the Jews. Ironically, we have a Catholic church in the area in green that's called the Queen of Heaven, which is amazing to me. That's where Andy grew up, where he was an altar boy, where he caused all sorts of havoc. Um, but the Queen of Heaven church, which is interesting, um, you know, you look up that phrase, and it's actually pagan in the scriptures. So it's kind of interesting because I'm like, okay, it's a Catholic church. They say they believe in God, but yet they chose a name that actually reflects a false goddess from the Old Testament. It doesn't make any sense. Now, they reapply that and they say that it belongs to Mary, and that's why they do it, which, okay, that's fine. But I would not do that. That's not something that I would do. Okay, so this child, Tammuz, was born of a virgin, according to Babylonian history. Uh, This child supposedly died by a pig. I don't know how, maybe just got mold or whatever. And the blood of the baby was shed on an evergreen tree stump, and the tree grew to full size overnight, and this led to the worship of Tammuz and the worship of evergreen trees. So a lot of the traditions that we have that comes out at Christmas of us decorating evergreen trees comes from pagan religions such as the worship of the Queen of Heaven, Ashtaroth, Semiramis, Tammuz, all this stuff, where that's why people started worshiping evergreen trees. And if you think about it from the worship of evergreen trees, they're evergreen, right? They don't shed their pine needles. They're supposed to last year round. And so it's a picture of life. And so they always worship those trees over the other trees that would lose their leaves in the forest. So that's another kind of thing that they began to worship. This child, Nimrod, was reincarnated, or the child was Nimrod reincarnated. So they believe that when Tammuz died, and his blood was shed, that Tammuz actually was reincarnated as Nimrod. And this goes back again to Babylonian history. This reincarnated Tammuz, he became the sun god, which ironically the sun god is also Baal, which is another false god that you can find in the scriptures, the worship of the sun, Baal. Um, And a lot of this stuff can be found historically if you just take a moment and research it out. So based on all that, Babylonian religion, you have a goddess with a virgin-born child, That child dies and is resurrected as Nimrod, who's called the sun god. 
Okay? So you're starting to see some connections here. All right. So then God's response to their kingdom. We've already talked about that. So that's your blank response. That he ends up coming down and destroys the kingdom and the, uh, the, the religion by scattering them, by changing their language. And that's why it's called Babel. So this is the origin of all the different languages upon the earth. At one point in time, everybody spoke the same language. And here's where God gave them different languages to speak on the earth. Um, anyone want to take a guess of what the unified language was? Hebrew. I don't know. That's my guess. Hebrew. That's my guess. I don't know if it is or not. That's just a, that's just a guess. Educated guess. American. They spoke American. <laughs> no. No. All right. So my, in fact, you know what's funny is there's two, there's two options, I think. It's either Hebrew or it was Chinese. I think it's one or the other. Because if you go back and you actually study the Chinese language, you find that in the Chinese alphabet, there is a symbol that represents Noah and his sons for the flood. It's kind of interesting. So, all right. Side note. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're, gonna, we're just going to let that one go. Okay. All right. So, uh, so the people and their religion were scattered. So because God came down and he scattered the people and he scattered their religion, they took it with them everywhere they went. And so you start to find out that in China, no words, Andy, China, <laughs> you have the mother goddess Xingmu with child. So there's your, there's your goddess with a, a child that's virgin born. In ancient Germany, you have the virgin Hertha with child. In Scandinavia, you have Disa with child. Uh, the Etruscans, you got Nutria. In the Druids, you got Virgo, the virgin mother, goddess Petura. Uh, and then you have in, in India, you have Indrani with child, Devaki and Krishna, and Isa and Iswara. In Greece, you have Aphrodite or Ceres. In the Sumerians, you have Nana. In Egypt, you have Isis with child Horus. In ancient Ephesus, you have Diana, which actually shows up in the scriptures in Acts 19.27, that the whole world worshipeth Diana. And yet she may not have the name Diana, but the whole world worships this, this mother goddess that has a child that's virgin born. And then in ancient Rome, you have Venus or Fortuna with child Jupiter. Jupiter, okay? So when they were scattered, they took their religion with them. Now, this is, this is perfect, okay? So just take a second and think about the mystery of iniquity. Remember, the mystery of iniquity, it is Satan's plan to usurp God's plan and to steal glory away from God, all right? Where was the first prophecy that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be virgin born? Isaiah. No, not Isaiah. Good guess, though, because that's the one we go to all the time. Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis 3.15, you have a scenario where God says from the seed of a woman, the Messiah is going to come. Now, that can only happen if the woman has a child while she is a virgin. That's the only way that can happen. So God prophesied that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to be virgin born. The devil knew that, absolutely knew that, and he began to put something in place by Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11, they would start to counterfeit the virgin birth. This is the perfect plan, the perfect plan. If he can put into human history these mythological stories of a child being born of a virgin, then by the time Jesus shows up, it's like, oh, well, we've heard that before. You know what I mean? And it would make people not believe what God is doing. This is the perfect plan. Also, he puts it in a situation that later on he could actually counterfeit Christianity and steal away Mary and Jesus as this goddess that has given birth to this Messiah-like child. It's perfect. It's 
perfect. And that would be the culmination of everything that would then make people think, okay, there's this religion that uses the name of Jesus, that calls God God, that uses the Bible, that talks about the crucifixion, and yet it has nothing to do with the gospel, and it's sending more people to hell now than ever before. It's the perfect plan to send people to hell because they're going to hell believing in Jesus. That's a huge problem, but yet that is a genius plan by the devil. Genius plan. And we need to make sure that we are on our game so that we can try to save these people from being enslaved and trapped in this this religious monstrosity that the devil has created so that way people aren't going to hell. Ignorant and foolish. So, all right. Let's keep going. So, Mystery Babylon's Identity. Go to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Let's talk about Mystery Babylon's Identity. Mystery Babylon's Identity. Revelation 17. Okay. Verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw a woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is, and here, are, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are, this, are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but... Receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful and true. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Okay, so there is a lot of different things in this chapter. But talking about the identity of this woman and mystery Babylon, there are several things that really stand out to me. 
So first of all, you have in verse 2, the kings of the earth commit fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So she has great power and influence over kings, kingdoms, and peoples. And they love her. The benefits that they get from her, they love her. And there's a lot of pleasure that's involved here. And then you have this woman who sits upon this beast, and the color of the beast is what in verse 3? Violet. Or scarlet. Scarlet, yep. And it has names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in, verse 4, purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, and having a golden cup in her hand. So remember that. So it starts to talk about colors. It starts to talk about a golden cup. It starts talking about a lot of gold and precious stones sitting upon a beast that is scarlet. And then you have, in verse 6, that she has killed many of God's people. The blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She is a murderer, a murderer. She murders true believers. All right? Remember that. Remember that. And then when you go down to verse 9, the seven heads of this beast are seven mountains. Seven mountains. So there's that. That's important to remember. And then if you go down to verse 15, he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. So she sits upon this beast with seven heads, seven mountains, and that sits upon peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So she has great power and authority over these people, these nations, everything. And then verse 18, the woman which thou sawest is that great city. So she is a city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, so you start to boil this all down. You have scarlet, you have purple, you have gold, Golden cup, precious stones, great influence, murderer of true believers that love God throughout human history and even into the future. And then you have uh, the fact that this, this beast has seven heads, seven mountains, and she is that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Just that alone, does anybody put anything together about anything from history or anything that you've learned so far? I know you know. You've already, you've already done enough today. No, you've hit your quota. Anybody? Vatican. The Vatican. Sorry. You're saying you're not smart? <laughs> Sorry, <for you. laughs> smart people. The Vatican. The Roman Catholic Church. Do you see why I said what I said at the beginning? <clears throat> the Bible reveals Mystery Babylon as the Roman Catholic Church. There is no other, no other false religion that uses the name of God, that uses the name of Jesus, that uses the Bible, that has murdered more Christians, that uses purple, scarlet, gold, precious stones, golden cup, seals. They don't use seals. <laughs> there's, there's not been another one. I mean, there's not been another one. The city, Vatican, is called the city upon seven hills, seven mountains, and it is called the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. The Roman Catholic Church has had so much dominance and influence over the kings of the earth throughout human history. It is ridiculous. Just go back and read history and you'll be able to see that. This is insane. So let's go through this list real quick. And we, I, we need to talk about this. So first of all, she's a harlot. She sits upon many waters, which are people, tongues, nations. She is fornicated with all the kings of the world. She is seated on a scarlet, 
blasphemy name, seven-headed, ten-horned beast. She's arrayed in the, in the colors of purple and scarlet. She's decked with fine jewels and gold. Her symbol is a golden cup. She is a city that reigns over the kings of the earth. The city sets upon seven mountains or hills. She is called Jezebel. And man, I wish we had time to go through that. That is an amazing study. And it lines up perfectly with the Roman Catholic Church, what Jezebel has done. She idolizes or worships a virgin woman with child. And everywhere that I go, they venerate Mary more than Jesus. They do. I have been to many different places, especially over in Ireland, and I have seen a lot of the different, they have different uh, uh, statues, and they have different memorials, and they have different stained glass windows. And I remember standing there at one of the churches, one of the beautiful basilicas in this town in Ireland, where they have the stained glass window, and here you have Mary above Jesus, Mary above God, Mary above everything, that she is actually the one that they idolize and worship more than anybody else. I got into discussions with a Catholic one time, and he was in Ireland, a guy that was going to be a priest, but he couldn't remain celibate, so he, because he couldn't have self-control, he ended up decided not to become a priest. And he mentioned to me about, we were talking about Mary, and he's like, yeah, but I mean, without Mary, you wouldn't have Jesus, and that's why we worship her. I'm like, yeah, but haven't you seen in the scriptures, where in Luke chapter 2, that Mary says that she needs a Savior? So if she needs a Savior, how can she be immaculate? How can she be sinless? How should she be worshipped? No. She says that she needs a savior and she knew that. She knew that she was a sinner and she needed a savior. And she knew that she didn't deserve to have Jesus and she knew that that child was going to die and save her. She knew that. She knew that. And he couldn't really answer that one because that's what the scriptures say very clearly. So she has martyred untold millions upon millions of born again Bible believers throughout church history for opposing her religion. And she is the ultimate counterfeit because she has ministers of righteousness. She takes the name of Jesus. She preaches a gospel that's not the gospel of the Bible. And she uses the name of God. So here's the conclusion. Go to the bottom part of this. In the Old Testament, Satan used a literal woman. And this is that those passages about Jezebel. Which, by the way, if you missed your blank under the check marks, she is called Jezebel. Make sure you get that in there. If you have some time, read those passages because you'll learn a lot about Jezebel and the worship of Baal and how those are the beginning stages of what the devil was going to do through the Roman Catholic Church. So in the Old Testament, Satan used a literal woman named Jezebel to corrupt Israel by introducing them to a false religious system that had black-robed priests called fathers who used idols as aids in worship. That false religions, uh, that false religion was called Baalism. She has been in operation in various forms since Genesis 11. In the New Testament, after 314 AD, Satan used a figurative woman named Jezebel, which is what exactly God calls the Roman Catholic Church in Revelation 2 and 3, in an attempt to corrupt biblical truth and dilute true Christianity. This false religion also has black-robed priests called fathers who use idols and aids in worship. She will once again unite all of their false religions under her leadership, and this false religion is the Roman Catholic Church. In this universal, which by the way, if you, I don't know if you know this or not, but Catholic means universal. So in this universal church, Baal is called Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. It is another Jesus proclaimed in another gospel, received through another spirit, and is preached by false apostles who are actually Satan's ministers, while Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, ruling over her affairs. Now, I wanted to show you this just because I wanted you to be able to see this with your, um, just with everything that we've been talking about. It's a great visual. 
I had a picture that I wanted to show you of there's the golden cup there's the scarlet there's the purple you have these bishops and cardinals you have the currency where you have the pope on the one side and on the other side you have Baalism. I mean, this is Babylonian. It goes right back to this woman who's seated upon the whole world. And she's got, I think in this one, a golden cup in her hand right there. Right there. I mean, everything that God has outlined in Revelation 17, and you just look at a few pictures of a lot of the ceremonial and the ritualism within the Roman Catholic Church, and you just look at that and you're like, what did that say? And God reveals it. I mean, he reveals it. And this is why many Catholics do not read their Bible. They just don't read their Bible. Because if they were to read their Bible, they'd find out that what they're worshiping, what they're doing, is completely against what God has laid out in the Scriptures. And this is what the Antichrist is going to use in the last days to control the whole world. And it says at the very end, which we read through that in chapter 17, that at the point where the Antichrist comes to the point where he sits upon the throne as God in the temple declaring himself to be God that he actually destroys destroys the woman and he kills her and the reason why I think that he does that is because there can't be a mention of the name of Jesus whatsoever he's used it for so long to get people just to go to hell and to believe these false religions but there comes a point where he has to kill her and destroy her so he can be God and so people can worship him and say see I was the power all along behind all this stuff that's Revelation 17 Revelation 17. Yeah, Andy. Dollar. Who can name that pope? For a dollar. Who is it? Wait, go back. Want me to go back? Paul, tap on this. You know who it is, right? Oh, yeah. You can't guess. One dollar. Who knows? William. Good. I want to make sure nobody knows. I'll keep my dollar. That's Benedict. He's a great man. No, I never met the guy. He's a <laughs> I've never met him. He's weird. Okay. All right. But this is not something. At the, like I said at the very beginning, I want I want you guys to really understand. Um, you know, growing up, growing up, you know, I kind of. I mean, I knew that Catholicism wasn't biblical. I knew it wasn't biblical. Um, I knew that <coughs> people that believed in Catholicism were not going to go to heaven. I knew that. Um, but you start to meet people that that are a part of the Roman Catholic Church and you need to have a heart for them. But how do you talk to somebody? I mean, how do you talk to somebody who's involved in a religion that seems similar? In fact, a lot of Catholics call themselves Christians and they're using Jesus, using God, using the Spirit, using the Bible, and they say all these things. How do you, how do you talk to them? Yes, and that's how Andy ended up hearing the truth, and he got saved out of the Queen of Heaven, because that's where you grew up at. What's the greatest way to do this? I mean, what's the greatest way? Is it taking a lot of this stuff and saying, oh, yeah, well, you believe in the religion that the Antichrist is going to use at the end of the days? And I mean, no, you're an idiot if you do that. You're an absolute idiot. What is the best way to approach someone that believes in this kind of stuff? You love them. You absolutely love them, first and foremost. You love God first. And that will give you proper compassion for people that are in this type of a religion. But you love them. 
And when you love them, you'll know how to talk to them. You'll know how to be discreet. You'll know how to talk to them. I mean, I remember sitting, I told the story before, that Andy and I were sitting in McDonald's and we started talking about differences in what we believe. And I started putting out stuff out there about, you know, Catholicism. And I remember him saying, you know more about what I believe than I do. And I was kind of taken, about, taken back by that. But as we talked about that, and he started really considering what I had to say, and then he came to camp and he heard the gospel, he's like, huh. But that takes a huge step of faith to walk away from something that he was raised in, that he held dear, that was part of his family's tradition for years, in order to say, you know what, I'm probably wrong, and I need to believe the truth. Whenever I go over to Ireland, I feel the same pressure, because you know what I'm really doing when I go over to Ireland in places that have been steeped in Roman Catholicism for not just hundreds of years, we're talking thousands of years. I'm asking people to believe the gospel that will save them, for sure. But that means that they have to admit that everybody that has gone before them in their family history has died and gone to hell. That is not easy to do. Like when we take this trip over to Ireland in August and we're sharing the gospel with people on the street, that's what we're doing and that is, a, that is a huge deal. And it cannot be done with insensitivity. You can't do that. And the same goes for any other false religion that's out there. You just can't walk into people's lives and just bash them over the head with the truth and be like, yeah, well, they're idiots because they don't believe. No, there is so much more going on there. And the devil's been at work since the very beginning to make it hard for people to hear the truth, to make it hard for people to hear the thing that will save them through religion through personal pleasure, through all sorts of things. And so this needs to be a lesson this morning on how to properly minister to other people, not as something that equips you in order to assassinate Catholics for the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So this is something you really need to take to heart. You really need to take to heart. Okay, and then lastly, I just want to touch on this. We're not going to have time to get into these passages, but Mystery Babylon's Fall, because she is going to fall. Just as Babel was determined to stay united in an offense to God and to just go directly against what he wanted them to do, um, Mystery Babylon is going to fall. It doesn't matter what she does. It doesn't matter what the Antichrist does. She is going to fall, and she is going to be destroyed. So victory is declared over Babylon in one hour. In only one hour, she is made desolate, and she is destroyed by the hand of Jesus. Babylon's allies weep, and they wail over her destruction because they trusted in her. Heaven rejoices. Jesus takes the kingdoms of the earth by force. He takes out the counterfeit trinity by force. And Jesus establishes his kingdom permanently. And it will never, ever, ever end. And ironically, you know, when you study out Jezebel, it's interesting. In Jezebel, you know, anyone know how Jezebel died? How did Jezebel die? Anybody know? Was she trampled? She was trampled, but something happened. Yeah. Nope, she didn't fall. She came out of a window, but she didn't fall. She was thrown out of a window. Yeah. So Jehu, which was a guy that God used to basically destroy a lot of people on God's hit list. The last one, <laughs> I mean, at that time, when you, when you read that passage, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. God showed up and said, all right, Jehu, you need to make some stuff right. Some people need to die because they've come against me. And so Jehu shows up. He's God's assassin. All right. So Jehu shows up. Hey, maybe that could be a name for your guy's child. There you go. Jehu. Jehu can be your son's name. Okay. So, all right. Let's get back on track. We're slightly derailed. All right. Jehu. Jehu shows up 
and he is coming to the tower. He kills the king um, of Israel that time, and then next on his list is Jezebel. God wants her gone. And in fact, it says in Revelation that he gave space to Jezebel to repent, but she repented not. And so her judgment has come. And Jehu is the man to wield that sword of judgment. He comes down and he is furiously riding his chariot towards her. And you know what she does? Because she basically looks like she's almost going to be dead anyway. She puts makeup on her face. She needs to get freshened up. So she puts makeup on her face. Says literally she paints her face. And then she comes out the window and she's talking to Jehu and says, is that you, Jehu? And Jehu's like, yeah. And then there are other guys that poked their head out of other windows. And he said, all right, who's with me? And they're like, <laughs> and he said, okay, if you're with me, throw her down. Throw her out of the window and throw her down. And so they take her out the window and throw her down. <coughs> she hits the bottom and out of respect, you know, they went their way. They were doing their other thing. And he's like, all right, we need to go. And we need to take care of her body because she is the daughter of a, of a king. So we're going to bury her properly. They go back. They can't find anything because the dogs came and ate her, completely ate her. And here's what happened. God said that that was going to happen. God prophesied that when she died, there would be nothing left of her. The dogs are going to come and consume her, and she's going to be like dung out on the field. That was going to be the end of her, and it actually did happen. Ironically, if you go to chapter, let's see here. Um, let's see here. Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Come on. Oh, where's it at? Where's the verse? Okay, here it is. In chapter 18, Revelation 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. See, she was a figurative example of what God was going to do with Jezebel, mystery Babylon, in the future. As an angel takes that stone, throws it into the sea, and says, that city's not going to be found any longer. It goes back to Jezebel and that picture that God was painting, that Jezebel who worshipped Baal, that caused Israel to fornicate, who murdered people and stole lands and money away from God's people. It's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church has done. And she was thrown down out of a tower, not found any longer. Same with Babylon, the exact same thing. Jezebel is mystery Babylon. Jezebel is the great picture of the Roman Catholic Church. And the Antichrist is going to use the Roman Catholic Church for his ends and then kill her. And then God is going to destroy the whole thing and it's not going to be found anymore at all. And lastly, I want you to see this in verse 24 since you're in chapter 18. Talking about mystery Babylon. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. That is mystery Babylon. So this is why I wanted to approach it from this fashion. Maybe this is something you've heard before. Maybe you haven't. Um, maybe you've always known that Roman Catholicism is definitely not right. But God lays it out very, very clearly what it is, who she is, and how the devil's been using her all along. So that is Mr. Babylon. Any questions? It's pretty intense this morning. Okay. Again, this is not something to give you ammunition. This should cause you to have a heart for people that are trapped in this form of religion because they're being duped by the devil. And when you come across people like that and you have the opportunity to minister, you should. You should do it with a heart of compassion. You should do it with a heart that actually cares about them because someone needs to tell them the truth.
And you got to pray about it. And you got to love them in order to make that happen. All right, somebody pray for us. Close us out so we can get out of here. How about a lady pray? Lady. Sure. Amen.